Hello and welcome, friends, to The Social Leader, Episode 4. Today, my guest is Megan Hyatt Miller. I look forward to having this conversation about leadership and making a social impact. Stay tuned. Welcome, Megan. How are you? I'm great, Father Justin. Thanks for having me today. It's great to be oh, here. It's great to have you here. We just tried to start the show if you're following along online and we had a COVID crash <laughs> about the time that we that we hit interbroadcast. So I'm Man. glad it, it appears to be working today. Um, so I'm very excited to introduce our audience to you. You've been uh, a longtime friend of mine and you just are doing some incredible work in the areas of leadership and in vision, and you're an incredible mom, and I just can't wait for people to get to know you. So let's introduce you. Megan Hyatt Miller is the COO of Michael Hyatt and Company. She is an author, a podcaster, a coach, a live speaker. You work with your family, your dad, uh, Michael Hyatt, who many of you might know, to put out some incredible products like the Full Focus Planner, which here at Reconciliation Services, we use religiously, I have to tell you, it's a part of our culture. But what did I miss? Tell everybody about you and, and what I missed about you, Megan, so they get to know you. Well, thank you for that. That was very generous. Um, you know, Michael Hyatt and Company is all about leadership development. We're really a leadership development company that helps um, overwhelmed but successful leaders to uh, get the focus they need, which right now I feel like is more important than ever and more challenging mm -hmm. than ever, um, so that they are able to have what we call the double win, which is winning at work, but also succeeding at life. You know, we feel like winning at work is not enough. We really want to see our clients and our customers succeed in their life as a whole. Um, and I think that involves some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So that's really our mission. Um, as you said, I am a mom. I have five kids, um, ages almost 19 and two more weeks to one. We just adopted a baby girl. Three of those children are adopted. Two are my stepkids. So we have a very unique family. It's busy. Um, but it's wonderful. And like everybody else, we're trying to figure out how my husband and I, how to uh, do our work from home with all the kids home. So it's an exciting time. <laughs> you, like my wife, are a saint working at home from, you know, all of the things that you do with five kids and so many people out there are doing it. And I think that's a great place to launch off. And I'd rather start with the personal than yeah. jump into leadership. I think for our audience, everybody knows that a reconciliation services and on the social leader, we're really talking about how to have a greater social impact through leadership. But before we jump into that, I really want to know about how you're surviving right now. What are what are some of the hacks, the tips, the tricks that you're using, Megan, to sort of stay sane in these uncertain times? Yeah, well, it's easier said than done. You know, I think we're reading a lot in the news um, and just experiencing personally how challenging it is to maintain a sense of equilibri equilibrium, even if we are, you know, maybe one of our kids or our spouse or a roommate is having challenges and it's just tough. So I think, you know, a few things that I'm doing that certainly are not perfect, but have worked well for me. Um, one of the things I'm doing is I'm moving every day. You know, every afternoon mm. when I'm finished working, I go out with my husband, Joel, and we go on a walk around our neighborhood normally 
family. We're leaving our kids except for the baby at home. They're watching a show. So we get a little time to ourselves. And that's really helpful. You know, I read an article. You may have seen this too, Father Justin, from Dr. Uh, Kurt Thompson, who mm. um, is really an amazing um, author and physician talking about the challenge of embodiment right now. You know, we're so disconnected in this virtual space, this like yeah. Zoom world that we're living in um, from a normal human experience. And one of the things that he recommends is to move every day and preferably in several small increments so you can kind of get back into your body. So um, I think that's really important, especially for leaders, especially if you're spending most of your time on Zoom all day, every day, like I am, you know, and like day. you probably are. You're like, ah. right. so that's really helpful. Just get outside and move. I think the other thing is having a plan for your day. And that may sound obvious, but you mentioned at the beginning that one of the products that we uh, have at Michael Hyde and Company is called the Full Focus Planner. It's a 90-day planner. And in, in it, it has a, a whole system for productivity and personal achievement. And one of the practices in that is that you identify every day what we call your daily big three. And those are the tasks that um, are truly important and urgent, usually, that you must um, accomplish to make progress on your weekly objectives. And mm. for me, you know, what I do in the morning is I have time uh, in prayer that's quick. It's like, you know, five to 10 minutes max because I'm doing this before my baby gets up. Um, and I'm and I'm getting out my full focus planner for the day. I'm identifying my big three and I'm writing down my schedule for the day. And I feel like that gives me two things, a sense of control and a sense of accomplishment, both of which are really important and not a default right now. You know, so that's been helpful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you talk about keeping on moving, I was just talking with my wife, Jody today about how it felt like when the adrenaline was really high in the mm -hmm. first 30 days after the pandemic. And if you're watching this later, we're recording this during the time that we're still on quarantine and in lockdown right. during the, the global pandemic. But I was just talking with her today about how I miss how in the first 30 days, I think because of all the anxiety, we were going on a walk together, just the two of us. Yep. And it's not that we don't spend time together, but we both live such busy lives. And then we have three teenage kids that that moving was really helpful. And yes. I think when we get stressed, that moving is something that we forget to do. We also mm -hmm. forget to breathe. We forget to totally. hydrate, right? To take care of ourselves. What are some of the other ways right now, Megan, that that you're really taking care of yourself so that you can be present as a leader in mm -hmm. your family and in your company? Well, this is kind of radical, but one of the things we did to your point, you know, we had that big adrenaline rush at the beginning, first two or three weeks. I mean, it was really stressful, but you just, you had this sense of like, I have so much energy and we can just, you know, take on, you know, whatever challenges we're facing. Mm. We found that our people really hit a wall uh, on the other side of that. We have about 40 employees and on the other side of that, we hit a wall. And we ended up shortening our workday um, from nine to three because we have mm. parents like everybody else, people who have parents who are trying to work from home with toddlers and other kids. It's really stressful. And they're trying to do the same work that they would normally do with an unbelievable amount of stress, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're caring so much right now that we don't even necessarily understand and so that has been a real secret to our success. Incidentally, we haven't lost any productivity. I mean, we're still able to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish, but there's time for people to rejuvenate. And so that has been a real key. And I think personally for me that, like I said earlier, you know, I've been moving. I've also been prioritizing going to bed early. I mean, I just turn into a pumpkin after 930. My husband does not. He could stay up till two in the morning, but I've got to be in bed at 930. And, and right. sleep is really critical. 
Yeah, if we're going to have that massive impact, if we're going to have even beyond sort of our normal leadership impact, if we're going to make a social impact in our community that that brings us from kind of a transactional leadership to a transformational leadership where we move beyond sort of the corporate norms and get into something that has a longer or a more eternal value, really taking care of yourself is important. I wish I could say that I've been going to bed early like you, but I'll be, I'll be honest, I've been struggling with keeping yeah. my, my heart and my mind mm -hmm. off of the news, off I of know. the phone, right? Has that been a struggle for you to keep your focus or maybe um, just to keep doing deep work? Has that been hard for you? It has been hard. And I think that we're all kind of experiencing that together. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has helped me is to just limit my news consumption to certain parts of the day, you know, to mm -hmm. not be deep in the news right before I go to bed. Um, it seems like all the the big stuff comes out in the morning anyway. And I tend to, that kind of tends to be my time um, after I've done my quiet time and, you know, planning for the day and so forth, I'll tend to check in on the news, but I do think that helps, but it is hard. You know, I think we have to be kind with ourselves right now. I mean, we're all struggling in different ways and that, uh, presents itself in different ways. Maybe you're having trouble sleeping. Maybe you're more irritable than normal as a leader um, or at home. You know, maybe you use up all of your kind of strength during your day at, at your work, at your job. Mm -hmm. And then you come home and your family kind of uh, is, is just one thing too many. I mean, that's just a reality for a lot of us. So I, I think it helps to be kind to yourself as a leader. But I think your this question around what are you doing to um, kind of support yourself and to have self-care is important because as leaders right now, we're not just taking care of ourselves in a stressful time and all that that entails. We're also caring for our people who are under enormous stress and the emotional needs that they have that normally would be outside of, of the scope of our, our work and our companies is totally now within the scope of, of our day-to-day -day work. You know, I'm regularly dealing with issues with people where they're really struggling personally, and that shows up at work. So anyway, I think that's just our reality. Yeah, you hit on something really important, which is the mental health piece of it. Mm -hmm. Because whether it's uh, like at Reconciliation Services, probably 45 days ago, we instituted something that we call the Mental Health Hour, mm -hmm. which basically said that while we're still an essential service, and we're we're, we're doing social services and mental health and right. food work and everything has ramped up. I mean, there is tremendous need yeah. right now in Kansas City and, and particularly at this time all across the United States. So many people who are working poor mm -hmm. and in particular, we can talk about this, this is really hitting communities of color mm -hmm. harder than it's hitting some of us. Yep. But one of the things that we noticed was that the staff really had done a whole lot during the day, partly because there's adrenaline, but then by the end of the day, there was just this sense of drain. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, actually I heard on one of your podcasts that I shared with our team, there's this, this sense of being a fountain or being uh, a drain and which one are you going to be? Mm -hmm. And so in order to try to help our staff who are helpers, caregivers in the community remain a fountain emotionally and spiritually and with their own mental health, we instituted a shorter workday as well, where mm. if they want to work till five, they can, but we have a new little code in the, in the timesheet where they can just say, I'm taking a mental health hour yeah. and it doesn't count against normal PTO. It's just additional PTO. It's taking awesome. that time to rest is really important, isn't it? I think it really is because you just, you can't just focus only on productivity right now. You know, if you play that game, that's a short term game. I think you really have to play the long game, which is getting your whole team through this in one piece where people are um, integrated, you know, where they're, they're healthy mentally, they have the support that they need so they can come out on the other side and not just fall over the finish line, but really be standing strong. And, and that is a, a huge leadership challenge for all of us. 
You know, I want to pivot to talk just a little bit about a, sub a subject that I know you've thought a whole lot about, and that's trauma. Because mm -hmm. while we talk about mental health in uncertain times, there, there really is another layer where if you've experienced totally. trauma or if you've grown up in an environment where trauma is not something that's just done to you, but it's sort of the air that you breathe, that makes it all the more difficult to be resilient when real uncertainty happens. What's been your experience as a leader and as a mom and as an individual um, trying to work your way through trauma in this pandemic? And, and how do you lead folks who've, who've experienced significant trauma right now? What do we do? Yeah. Gosh, this is such a great question. And I think it's not something that's being talked enough about. I wish that it mm -hmm. were uh, being talked more about. By the way, a great resource is Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote, wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. He's great been book. doing, um, it is such a great book. He's been doing some great uh, videos that he's been putting out, talking about mm. trauma and kind of how to think about that right now. If that's been your experience, I'd point people to that. Um, I unfortunately don't have a website, but I'm sure you could Google it and find it. Um, first of all, I think, I think this is a top area of concern. This is something in my own personal life that has been um, kind of central. We have three of our five children who've experienced um, quite a bit of trauma. As I said, three of our five kids are adopted. Um, no child is available for adoption who did not first go through an incredible amount of trauma. You know, so mm -hmm. that's something that has been part of our reality that we've been dealing with for years um, for them and, and really trying to think through it. Um, additionally, um, you know, my husband and I have had some secondary trauma as opposed to that or as a consequence of that, which we have worked through ourselves. And then, of course, in the context of um, our business, many of our people have experienced trauma. Some of those things I know, some of them I don't know. It doesn't really matter. What it means is, is that the way you respond to this is so different than if you sort of had a, a blank slate, if anybody actually has a blank slate, right? And um, I think it's just important to have that in your mind to, to remember that when you experience reactions in yourself, you know, maybe you see a piece of news and, and you find yourself kind of um, manically responding to that, you know, like getting really busy or you have a situation where where um, you see a team member who can't stop working or who can't who can't kind of get themselves going. Um, those are kind of two opposite responses to trauma. Sometimes there's a lot going on under the surface. And I think it's helpful for all of us to remember there is more going on for ourselves, for our children, and for the people that we're leading or serving than we could ever imagine. And if we try to just respond to kind of the surface issue, we're not going to be very successful. So we have to slow down, right? We have to ask questions. We have to be compassionate. We have to try to provide support in ways that maybe as business leaders or um, nonprofit leaders, we're not used to. Um, you guys, I think, have a, a an advantage in this and that those are things that you're thinking about already mm. at Reconciliation Services. And I think you can could educate the rest of us with that. But I think for those of us who are kind of in a, a results-oriented culture, we have to think about it differently. Right. And I think you bring up an interesting thing that, that definitely ties into the social leader and, and what we're trying to do. You know, for us, the social leader is is trying to say, OK, can we bring leaders on that are not only succeeding at work and life, but who also are going that extra step and saying, OK, part of success is not just having a strong ROI, but trying to figure out in my own emphasis, my own sphere, how can I have a social return on investment, whether I'm a foreman on a construction job or I'm the CEO, each of us has the ability, if we get educated, to be able to have that deeper social impact and to practice what we call social leadership. And 
coming up when the world opens up again, we're actually going to be launching uh, an experiential uh, learning skills based learning program called the social leader. So stay tuned for that at reconciliation services. But you you really have had some exposure yourself, both in leading a company focused on productivity, being a mom who's had kids and, and people in your workplace that have experienced trauma, you've had an opportunity to become uh, more educated around the areas of trauma and mental health. How do you feel like becoming more educated about trauma and about social issues has helped you grow in your leadership? How has that helped you expand your framework from which you can make decisions? And what's been the outcome of that? Well, it's a great question. I, you know, it's funny when we're thinking about leadership, we often think about the hard skills, you know, can you deliver results? Um, can you hire successfully? Uh, can you produce new products? Can you take market share? Things like that. Um, however, I think the biggest challenge that any leader faces, and I find this in my own leadership and I find it in the 400 clients that we coach are mm. relational. The biggest challenges are relationships. If you think about your own leadership and, you know, something that you've been struggling with, a performance issue maybe, or results that you're not achieving behind that is really something rooted in relationship. And so these soft skills around um, understanding how people work, what drives people, what gets in the way for people, where do they get mm -hmm. stuck? Where do you get stuck? is critical for us to be able to do the things that we feel like are the real leadership. You know, the, the real leadership is actually the relational work. And so I think anything that develops our uh, self-awareness, our social awareness to get out of our own experience and understand someone else's experience and be able to adapt our approach in a way that's effective for those people that reaches people in a different mm -hmm. way is really critical. You know, I, I think that um, that's what we need now more than ever. And I also think it's become clear to us that the boundaries between our professional lives and our work and our personal lives and the personal lives of those people that we're leading, you know, were um, not nearly as strong as we thought, you know, that, that we actually have a lot more integration. Um, it's probably the best and nicest way to say it between those two parts of our life. Yeah, you know, how do you feel like this situation and, and our wide global exposure to this sense of vulnerability, mm -hmm. how do you feel like that's increasing our ability to have that relational connection with our employees, with our family and our friends? Is it building um, what some have called sort of that vulnerability virtue in mm -hmm. us, this this situation? And, and how do you see that happening in your own life? I think it certainly can. I think it's a decision though. You know, I mean, mm. I think it, I think as a leader, sometimes what can happen and I felt this temptation myself and then decided that's just not how I want to show up is that on the one hand, I need to project a uh, demeanor of confidence for my team. I need to be decisive. I need to, to make the decisions that are going to, you know, keep us healthy as a company and protect jobs. For example, it's like the top, top thing everybody's thinking about. Um, on the other hand, I'm a real person. You know, I'm a real person right. with real kids who's really locked in my house with five kids every day and have my own anxieties, my own past traumas. And if I deny those things and am unwilling to speak to them, 
my people are going to feel like that's their my expectation of them as well. And then we're all not processing things. And then it's all just going to come home to roost later. So I feel like leaders have to go first. We have to go first with the risky decisions. We have to go first with the hard conversations. But we also have to go first with the vulnerability. And um, if you can challenge yourself as a leader to come through this and just acknowledge those things, I don't actually think it takes your power away or makes you less strong. I think it does the opposite because you're now communicating in a much deeper level of empathy which is maybe the most powerful of all. Yeah, you know, obviously I'm a priest on this show. And so I'll speak from my tradition as an Orthodox Christian priest. Really what you're saying hits home when I think about the fact that it's actually through suffering that mm-hmm. joy comes into the world. Right. And, and it's it's not from pushing away the suffering or pushing away <clears throat> no. the difficult feelings that we're actually going to become powerful. It's that that true power comes and really that that true personal joy in our life comes when we allow and embrace that suffering to be a part of our daily experience. And that's difficult. Um, when you talk about trauma and you talk about these mental health issues, you know, the other thing that comes to mind are all of the visions, all of the awareness that's been done about diversity and mm-hmm. equity and inclusion. And I really, I, I'm grateful for the limited media coverage, but the, the media coverage that there has been about the real health equity disparities that yeah. are happening right now during COVID Gosh. because black and brown people and indigenous people are suffering at higher and higher numbers, even yep. dying at higher numbers than folks who are white. And so right. that is an important thing to stop and look at. Um, right now, a lot of leaders in companies, COOs, CEOs, senior VPs have talked for a long time about how are we going to shift diversity and inclusion in our company? Mm -hmm. What do you think the opportunity is right now as a woman who's leading a fast growing company? What's the opportunity for you to maybe actualize some of those priorities Mm -hmm. as we come out of this COVID crisis? Well, one of the things that um, you brought up a second ago was the concept of suffering. You know, that mm-hmm. idea of what do we do with suffering? Do we push it away? Do we do we deny it? Do we try to escape it? You know, how do we handle it? I think one of the gifts of this crisis is the ability to understand the suffering of, of other people in a way that uh, maybe felt distant before or mm. um, not our concern. You know, if I'm going to just kind of be crass about it, you know, sure. if, if you were sort of not going to edit your own thinking. I think we all know now that we are interconnected in a way that we did not fully understand before. And in that, we have a responsibility to one another that's that's different and more urgent than we we knew, you know, and I'm speaking we as in those of us who are upper middle class and white, you know, that right. had the kind of buffer of privilege. Um, I, I think that. Uh, that veil has been, the privilege has not been stripped away. In fact, it's probably, it's, it's more stark now than ever. And we understand right. that in a way that viscerally that we maybe didn't, but the veil has been stripped away. You know, we understand differently that our neighbors are suffering. We understand that, you know, I can go to my grocery store and buy 10 packs of toilet paper before that right. was not something I could do. But, but my neighbors half a mile away in public housing can't do that. And that's a problem. You know, that's something we have to think about. So. Um, I think this is a a very timely thing to think about. It's something I'm really wrestling with myself, you know, in our, in our own family, um, 
racial reconciliation has been something that's been very important to us, a conversation that we've had for a long time. You know, you were visiting with us not that many months ago, and we talked a little bit about that. And that's part of my professional history as well. But it's not something that um, we have brought into our company in an active way in the way that I would like to. You know, it's been kind of more personal, though our our, uh, staff is fairly diverse, actually, which is is great. We've made that a priority in our hiring and recruiting. Um, But I don't think that's enough. You know, I think the, the question is, what's our relationship to the community? What's our responsibility to the community from the position that we're we're standing in? And I don't know the answer exactly to that, but I know that it's important and I know that it's more urgent now than it was previously. You know, yeah, or the awareness yeah. of that is more urgent. Yeah, you bring up some good points. And, and sort of what I'm hearing you say is we've got to move from awareness to actualization yeah. of those priorities. And, I, you know, this is something I've been thinking a lot about. In fact, I'm planning on doing a podcast about it soon that Right now, there are going to be a tidal wave of tens of millions of people coming back into the workforce. When the world opens up again, millions of people are going to be applying. First of all, how are those people going to differentiate themselves? I really believe that people who are trained or who are thinking like social leaders, people who want to have a larger social impact beyond just their normal work impact, they're going to stand out when folks are coming to hire totally. and they're, yeah. And, and that kind of community mindset also isn't just about charity and philanthropy. It's about creativity. It's about yep. innovation. It's about seeing how can we as a company not only embrace diversity because it's good, it's moral, right. but actually how do we see diversity, equity, and inclusion as a superior growth model Absolutely. for our company and for our region? And when we start talking about the ROI of companies, I think we start hitting at the bottom line now we get people's attention. Well, yep. this is the opportunity right now. There's a tidal wave coming of people mm-hmm. that are going to be looking to be hired. You know, as you think about your leadership and your company, how do you see yourself moving beyond the old conception of charity mm-hmm. and kind of giving from your excess as mm-hmm. a company or as an individual? How do you get beyond the charity bucket and Mm -hmm. get really into a deeper engagement as a social leader in the community? Have you guys thought about that? Have you done anything in that regard? Or are you thinking about doing something like that? Um, I'm definitely thinking about doing something like that. In fact, it was on my um, list of goals this year. It is on my list of goals to mm. develop a task force around this made up of a diverse group of people to, you know, to, to really pull the people into that group who have diverse perspectives and say, where, what's our impact going to be? You know, mm. where do we want to serve? Where do we want to learn? Where do we want to grow? Um, where do we want to make a contribution? And I think, I think that's kind of what you're getting at is that it's not just about serving. It's also about learning. You know, it's about relationships. How can we develop two-way relationships that are win-win where we're both having the opportunity to contribute and serve and learn? Because there's a lot we need to learn. There's a lot we need to understand. It's not just about, hey, we have it all figured out. You know, we're, we're a successful company and we're going to come give some things to you because we can. And that makes us feel good about ourselves. You know, that's not enough. I mean, I think what we're really looking at is transformation, but transformation in both directions, not assuming that the, the the people that need transformation are just the people we're serving that we ourselves need transformation. And that can only happen through relationships, you know? So it is something I'm thinking, I'm thinking about. And I mean, I would love to hear your answer to that question, you know, how you would guide me. Cause I I would imagine that I represent a lot of people that are listening to the show that are similarly like, Hey, newly awakened to this needs to be a top priority. And yet how do I actualize that? 
Yeah, and that would be another podcast when I come on your show. We could talk more <laughs> yes, about that. You have a much larger audience than I do. <laughs> but, you know, that is also also what the Social Leader uh, Program is all mm -hmm. about and what this show and the podcasts that are coming are about is trying to glean from 22 years of nonprofit leadership from myself and then trying to glean from our team who are on the front lines, master's level social workers who are doing strength-based case management, motivational interviewing, who are following clinical and data-driven uh, uh, measures to be able to help bring that transformation. You know, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've often thought that um, one of the things that has worked for me, and I'll, and I'll use the Full Focus Planner as a good example mm -hmm. that you guys publish at Michael Hyatt and Company, is when I've been able to bring internal um, order it helps to calm the external chaos. And totally. usually we go the other way, right? Mm -hmm. We usually try to calm the external chaos and bring order there and then hope it calms down the inside. But actually the inverse is true. Our yep. thoughts determine our lives. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, fixing the way that we think. And, and I've thought about your company and some of the tools, those things as they stand, if there were a way to be able to teach the folks that we work with, low and moderate income folks who don't mm -hmm. have access to 30 extra dollars for a plan or yep. things like that. But if you could be able to deliver to them the, the life lessons and the tools that you deliver to people like me and others in the corporate world, yep. um, I believe it could make a really big difference. And those are some of the gaps in access that yep, are sort of, absolutely. They're not, yeah, they're not thought about. Nope. So I would challenge you and, and would love to actually think through and brainstorm with Michael Hyatt yep. and company and, and anybody listening. I really believe companies have the opportunity to do more than give charity yep. and have more than like a charity committee, but they can think like social venturers, people mm -hmm. who crave in entrepreneurship the ability to have a social impact, to bring a social return on investment while they're bringing that return on investment that their company that. started for. And by the way, one of the things, if, if you're a leader that you know, when you're hiring uh, right now, when you're hiring millennials in particular, they mm. care so much about meaning and purpose. And this is critical. I mean, this is, this is not only good for the world, good for you, um, good for the people you're serving. This is a competitive advantage for your company to have this figured out because mm -hmm. people want to know who, who are considering coming to work for you and who are buying your products. What do you stand for? Yeah. You know, what, how are you investing? How are you giving back? In fact, um, Father Justin, this is, this is interesting. We had a guy on um, our coaching uh, Q and a call recently. His name is Philip Stutz mm -hmm. and he had done a big study on uh, consumer behavior right now. Uh, interviewed 5,000 people, processed the data, came up with the conclusions. And one of the things that he found, his background is in marketing. So this was kind of like, how do you think about marketing? The things that people are caring about right now are, am I safe? Am I, are the people I'm dealing with trustworthy? Mm. And are they helping others? You know, again, that that idea of interconnectedness is really important right now to people. They understand it doesn't feel good to be individualistic and just out for your own gain. You know, that doesn't play well right now. It's, you know, it was never good, but I think right now it feels particularly tone deaf. Um, so this is relevant right now. Um, and obviously it has um, a, eternal significance, but it's also relevant from a business perspective right now. And I think that that should help to motivate us all to get it figured out.
Yeah, I really agree with you. I think that this issue of becoming a social leader and, and orienting every company from a minerals mining company to a productivity company, beginning to shift your thinking as a leader to, to ask yourself, how can I as a company built into the to the economics and the system of what I'm doing? How can I have a social impact? Mm -hmm. Those questions, like you said, are important to millennials. So it's yeah. not only going to be a bottom line question, yeah. but it's bo bottom line when you think about engagement of employees and retention totally. of employees. That is something that the, the bus is come and left on that. And if companies mm -hmm. aren't already thinking, if leaders aren't already thinking about how do I move beyond the charity bucket and become an educated social leader? Mm -hmm. um, you're you're going to be left in the dust. And the other thing that you said that I think is really important, and one of my favorite uh, podcasters, and I'm kind of crazy, so I like really out there entrepreneurial <laughs> stuff. But there's a guy who I listen to all the time named Alex Sharfin. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've heard of Alex, mm -hmm. but his manifesto just fires me up every day that he gives. <laughs> I love that guy. But Alex. Um, he talks about right now in this crisis that people aren't looking for vitamins anymore. They're right. looking for painkillers. Yeah. And when people, you know what I mean? They're, they're yeah. not looking for that feel good extra thing that I no. can buy. That's an additive to my life. That that's not essential. They're looking for painkillers. People mm -hmm. are out of work and companies are needing talent and yeah. the world has shifted. So the mm -hmm. companies, and I will say the leaders, no matter whether you're at the top or right in the middle or the bottom of a company working your way the leaders that can shift their thinking and to become those social leaders who are trying to um, alleviate pain in the community and in yeah. their company, those are the ones that are going to are going to thrive and succeed. And so I, I just really appreciate you bringing out all the things that that you've shared with us today. You're such an inspirational leader. I know I've talked to many women. Uh, we have a, a very significant uh, number of women on our staff here, and I keep trying to share your uh, material and content. In fact, Two weeks ago on a Thursday, uh, all staff meeting, which was virtual and by Zoom, um, we actually shared the podcast that that you all put out and that you led on uh, being resilient in difficult mm. times. And, and I would absolutely recommend people go to michaelhyatt.com and then and then find uh, your podcast in order to, to hear that. It was important. But Thank you're you. a really inspirational person, a dear friend, a great leader. And I just I want to give you the final word is as we close out, what challenge would you give mm. those who are listening and those who want to become better leaders and social leaders? What would you leave us with as we close out today? Well, thank you for those kind words. First of all, Father Justin, I really appreciate it. It's always a joy to be with you. Wish we just lived closer. We could hang out more often. I do too. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think this is um, an incredible time, an incredibly important time for leadership. It's never been more important. It's never been more vital. People have never needed it more or been more dependent on leaders right now to help us find our way through this, um, to help us understand it and make meaning out of it. And I think that's really the opportunity that's on the table. And I think what you're offering people in this concept of social leadership and social entrepreneurship is the opportunity um, to do this at a level that many of us have never thought about before. So mm. um, I would just encourage you as a leader to expand your vision, to think bigger, to ask, what does this crisis make possible that you may have never considered for yourself as a leader, for your company and for your impact in the world? Um, because I think we have an opportunity like we've never had before. So thanks again. This has been really, really great to be with you. Yeah, thank you. This is wonderful. You left us on the perfect note. Thank you again for your time. And we'll look forward to having you back on the show again sometime soon. Okay. Thanks, Father Justin.
All right, everybody, I really appreciate you joining us today. And I want to remind you that The Social Leader is sponsored by Reconciliation Services. You can go to our website. Please follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on YouTube. Make sure to smash that like button and subscribe so that you can get updates. We're doing The Social Leader podcast at least once a week, usually 10 a.m. on Tuesday. But like today, when we get the opportunity to have really special guests come and speak to us, we'll be throwing those out there more and more often. Also, make sure that you go to RS3101 and understand how your gift to reconciliation services right now can make an incredible difference. We need you right now. We're literally serving more than 350 people some days a day out of Thelma's Kitchen, which is our social venture here in Kansas City that's feeding the community. But we're also offering lots of transformational social services, therapy services, and economic community building. And whether you're here in Kansas City and want to support us, or whether you're inspired by the work by RS, we need your help, especially right now during this pandemic. Uh, don't forget, there are many, many people who cannot shelter in place, many people who don't have access to hygiene, and many people who already started, as Megan said, sort of below the zero line and are really struggling to survive and succeed. That's what Reconciliation Services is all about. That's what we're doing in the community. And that's really what social leaders are thinking about. How can I move from a transactional leadership to a community-oriented transformational leadership? So stay tuned. I'm very excited. Coming up in the next show, we're going to have Mayor Quentin Lucas here in Kansas City. It's going to be an incredible conversation about leadership in Kansas City during this time of COVID-19. Until next time, again, brought to you by Reconciliation Services. I'm Father Justin. We look forward to seeing you back on The Social Leader very soon.